What's up, what's up, listeners? Welcome to the Post Op. I'm Masada Jones, and this is a special bonus episode. I'm flying solo today because I've decided to sneak into the office of Oppenheimer Plastic Surgery while the good doctor is doing his thing in the OR to have a chat with two women I had the pleasure of working with and learning from last year. They play an essential role in the practice as lead clinic nurse and patient care coordinator. I am, of course, speaking of Arissa, the lead clinic nurse, and Christina, the patient care coordinator here. I wanted to sit down with them separately to find out their top two questions that they get asked during a consultation. And man, did they deliver. Now, listeners, you might still be asking yourself, sneak in. How does one sneak into an office building? And the answer, listeners, is you don't. I totally got caught by the doctor and he makes a special appearance on this episode too. So listeners, I hope you enjoy this bonus episode featuring Arissa and Christina, and the good doctor and I will be back with your regularly scheduled podcast next week. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the post-op. I'm sitting here with Oppenheimer Plastic Surgery's nurse. I want to say lead nurse. I don't know if that's true. Just you're the lead nurse in my heart, Arissa. Um, But I am sitting here with Arissa Diaz. Thank you, Arissa, for coming in on this episode. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm a fan of yours as well. I listen to all of your podcasts. Thanks. Literally all of them, all the time, (laughs) on my way to work. So super happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining in on this. So this uh, bonus episode is about the questions that you get during consultations. And I kind of floated, when I floated this episode uh, to you, this bonus episode, you asked me if it was a breast augmentation consult. You got like really specific, which means that you're a really good nurse because I was like, yeah, just a consult, whatever. And you're just like, let's get specific here. Mm -hmm. I love that about you. (laughs) Yes. Have to be specific. I'm very straight and to the point. Let's Yeah, I want it to be very direct. That's the best. Yeah. All right. So what were your top two questions? So I am actually focusing on labiaplasties today. Love it. That's my favorite. So it's my personal favorite as well (laughs) for so many reasons, which I can get into. Um, But I definitely get a lot of questions about this topic, and it's understandable, right? Labiaplasties, this is your most intimate area of your body. To talk about it, you know, it takes a lot of courage to even get there. And then, you know, what's going to happen from there? Just so many questions can arise. So we get a lot of questions, and I would say the most common questions we get, one of them being, will I have decreased sensation or lessened orgasm after a labiaplasty? Oh. So... You know, first, when answering questions, you always want to kind of double check that people understand the anatomy of themselves and what exactly a labiaplasty is and what parts of the body, you know, actually emit that orgasm. So with a labiaplasty, we are focused just on the labia. And that's not the part that is really producing your orgasm. Yeah, it's not responsible for the orgasm. Yeah. So of course, your orgasm, in case you guys didn't know, would be more geared toward the clitoris. So you do have sensation in your labia. There is a little sensation there, which may attribute to enhance your orgasm. But that's not where like the meat and potatoes are. So the answer to this question would be... You will not have decreased sensation and you will not have a lessened orgasm. And actually, sometimes we see quite the opposite. 
when reducing the labia and getting rid of some of that extra tissue, it's almost like we're creating a little bit of a beeline to your clitoris because now there's not all this extra tissue to get there. Hot take. It's a little easier to get there. Yes. So it may show up as increased sensation. Now, that's not the goal of a labiaplasty, of course, but it's kind of a perk that we yeah. see. Yeah. Okay, so I think by the time this bonus episode airs, we would have aired the labiaplasty episode. And let me tell you, that did not come up in conversation. Mm. <laughs> but mm, that is interesting. A, that's a good bonus. That's a good bonus. Um, hmm. And hmm. that that makes me wonder too: Are people feeling a bit more comfortable with? me maybe being a woman to ask me those kind of questions you know because as a woman I would know a little bit more about that and maybe have more of a take on that instead of you know from a male's perspective right and also they're like giving you the feedback too yes you know I wonder if Dr. Oppenheimer has ever gotten that feedback Hmm, that's that's a question for um yeah for the next recording session yeah absolutely okay so tell me what was the second question what's your top second question Second top question would be, when can I have sex after a labiaplasty? Yes. (laughs) So super important. So, you know, we see people across the board, young, middle-aged, you know, a little older, people who are married, people who are single, just on the whole horizon. And when having sex after a labiaplasty, you know, you have to imagine this is a surgical procedure. There's going to be incisions. Those incisions need to heal. But once those incisions heal then you're okay to get into it. And we say the best time to have sex is around six weeks after a labiaplasty. Nice. Okay, so just six weeks. That's not that's not, that's a not lot too bad, to, right? Yeah. That's doable. Mm-hmm. You know, this is for a short <laughs> you're laughing. My my pitch, I just I'm laughing because the pitch <laughs> in my voice just went up at so I was like, mm-hmm. It's yeah. funny when the husbands are in the room and I say six weeks, they're like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> Done deal. But in the big picture of things, you know, six weeks of, you know, abstinence for a lifetime of being comfortable with your body and not even having to think about this ever again is totally worth it. Yeah, that's that's so true. So true. And to be totally transparent, of course, every person deals with pain and healing in a different way. So six weeks for one person may be the right amount of time to get back into it. And I've seen other patients tell me that after six weeks, it's still a little bit uncomfortable. And that's okay. That's still considered normal. They just need a little bit more time healing and we just kind of wait and they'll stop for maybe another week or two and then get right back into it and see how it feels from there. Yeah, that's a great thing to consider. Thank you for thank you for bringing that up. Arissa, thank you so much for for taking the time to chat with me. Absolutely. I will let you get back to work. I'm sure that um, someone somewhere is is needing you. (laughs) You're like an integral part of this office. Oh, thank you. I think so, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, girl. Talk soon. All right. bye. Bye. All right, listeners, I am back. This time I am sitting down with the lovely patient care coordinator, Christina. You You probably recognize her voice, listeners, if you have been a patient with Dr. Oppenheimer and you have definitely sat down with her. Yes. So, Christina, thanks for taking the time out of your very busy day. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we are sitting down to talk about the top two questions that you get in your consultations. Yeah. And I mean, okay, a question that I didn't prep you for, but I'm just rant thinking off the top of my head. Yeah. How many consultations do you think you do in like a week? Um, hmm. 
quite a few. It's kind of dependent on what the consultations involve, you know, something like a labiaplasty, maybe a shorter consultation versus a tummy tuck or a breast surgery, maybe a little bit longer. So I would say on average, maybe 15 consults a week. So that's a lot of questions. A lot of questions, a lot of talking, but you know, knowledge is power. So yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for taking some more talking time and energy with me. Okay. So let's get into it. What's your top question? My top question, and it's probably really to do with one of the most common surgeries that we do here, which would be the tummy tuck. Um, My top question really is focused on safety. You know, the majority of our patients Mm. are moms. So they're not only concerned for their own well-being, but also the well-being of their family. And, you know, I think a big struggle for a lot of women is the mom guilt that comes with doing anything for yourself, especially when it's a surgery that could potentially impact your family. Right. And not just you. So with that, you know, the safety aspect is really the number one question that I get. Um, Number two would be more of on the aesthetic side, which would be, what are my scars going to look like? Yeah. So So it goes like, okay, so how safe is this? But also, am I going to look good afterwards? (laughs) I love it. Both are very important. So relatable. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's great. Okay. So what are, what are your answers as far as, you know, I want to start with safety because you know, safety first. Um, We have never hurt any moms, and Dr. Oppenheimer and I, every consultation, you know, every meeting with every patient that we have, we really like to drive that point home Yeah, because it is so important. It's important to us. It's important to you and to your family. So we have never hurt any moms. There are risks associated with any surgery that you have, whether it's, you know, a clinical necessity or an elective surgery like what we do here. Um, The biggest risks with a tummy tuck are really bleeding postoperatively or a blood clot Mm -hmm. of sorts. So, you know, if we run into postoperative bleeding, that's something where we can manage it here in the office. We're really built kind of to just take in everything and treat it as such. We don't really need to send you out anywhere for many things. However, a blood clot is something that would be outside our scope of practice. So, you know, we make all or take all the precautions that we can in the beginning and, you know, treat you properly throughout the surgery and your recovery time. But if we run into a blood clot, we have a certain protocol that we follow and, you know, we'll send you over to the hospital and we just keep a very close eye on you throughout your treatment. We are holding your hand through the whole process. Yeah, you're still really cared for. You know, it's really reassuring to know that there is this protocol in place. Even though, if I remember correctly from the um, the tummy tuck episode with Dr. Op, you all haven't had a situation like that in over three years. Yeah. Yeah. And only one out of the two patients that that happened to, the blood clots, actually needed to go to the hospital. Yeah. And in terms of just preparing ourselves for your surgery and keeping you prepared for surgery with the risk of a blood clot, we put all of our tummy tuck patients on a medication called Eliquis. So this helps to thin your blood and really reduce your risk of developing a blood clot after surgery. There are certain protocols that we have in place for during the surgery itself that we also do. Uh, So you'll notice that between anesthesia, Dr. Oppenheimer, and even the nurses in the room, we're all doing little things to really walk you through the surgery as safely as possible. We'll also, you know, for a lot of our out-of-town patients, which a large part of our practice is comprised of -of out-of-town patients, 
So we keep our out-of-town patients in town for about two weeks. We like to keep a very close eye on you and keep you within our little bubble. Yeah. And um, we're all ACLS, BLS certified as far as all the registered nurses go who practice here. That's myself included. We offer our patients an emergency line. So even if it's after hours, on the weekends, we have a phone number that you can call. You can text us. You can send us photos. You can email us. Our door is always open, and that's a point that we all really like to drive home because it's so important that you don't feel like you're ever, you know, hindering us or taking up our time for a silly question. There's never yeah. a silly question. We want to make sure that you're comfortable, you know, communicating with us and that you feel safe and that we keep you safe. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it's so important that you know we have good bedside manner before surgery yes and and even more so after surgery because mm-hmm. that's when you know the patient has spent the money they've taken the yeah. risk and then sometimes after surgeries and hospitals you can kind of feel a little bit kind of like okay you're done mm-hmm. okay now and you're kind of almost kicked out yeah. you know and, and it feels a little bit abrupt but yes I like the aftercare that goes into what happens here in this practice there's yes. Um, you know, I think there's an there's an aftercare nurse called Christina as well, right? Yeah, the other yeah. Christina. Yeah, the other Christina. Yeah. So I like that um, the patients that come here are really taken care of. That's really important, especially yeah. because you know moms moms rule the world. You know exactly. <laughs> so well, it, it just really makes a difference. I mean, I've been a registered nurse for almost ten years now. My entire practice of being a nurse has been focused around surgery. So I worked in a large hospital for a good chunk of the time as a beginner nurse or a new mm-hmm. nurse. And the the process of surgical nursing in a hospital system is so much different than it is in a private practice like yeah. this. So you really, I mean, I would meet the patient five minutes before we take them back to the surgical room and then, you know, you drop them off in recovery and you never see them again. And yeah. With us, and this is something that's very important to myself as well, you get to educate the patient. You get to know every patient and their values and their family life and everything yeah. in between. I mean, we've had patients where we come out and pet their dogs sometimes. Yeah. Like, it's just you really develop a very personal bond with patients, and yeah. it, it makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. So that's very important to us. Yeah. So um, what do you tell the patients about the second question? What's your response? So in regards to what will my scars look like, how long will my scars be, because that's a question we get quite often as well, um, the length of your scars are really determined by how much loose skin you have. So with mothers or women who are true candidates for tummy tucks, you can have you know, anything between a lot of loose skin and barely any muscle separation, or you can have a lot of muscle separation and barely any excess skin. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a range, but Dr. Oppenheimer and myself during your consultation will have you stay sitting let everything hang. Don't suck in. Don't tense up. And Do the we opposite just look. of like we've yes, been everything. taught our entire lives. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you just got to let it all out. And we basically take a look at how much skin you have and how far, if you think of that loose skin almost as like a pleat or a fold of fabric, we take a look at how far around that pleat of skin goes on your body 
and where it kind of tapers off. And that really shows us where your scar is basically going to lie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Dr. Oppenheimer has a very specific technique that he uses with each tummy tuck. And part of that is to not give you the shortest possible scar, but leave you with dog ears. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, these little points of excess skin that we could have taken, but we decided not to because we want the shorter scar instead. Right. So that's not really in anyone's best interest. Um, but normally speaking, I would say about hip to hip is what you can expect your scar to be. Sometimes it gets a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. We've had patients who have had extreme weight changes over the years. So in cases like that, your scar may go all the way around your body. Because Which the doctor's is, doing like a body lift or yes. something like that? Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little all over the place, but the recovery is very, very similar. And we'll walk you through the whole thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Christina, you are a very busy woman. I I hear things buzzing, so I know <laughs> you have to go. Thank you so much for oh, taking the time for and me. sitting down and chatting with of me. Of course. And, you know, introducing yourself to the listeners and – And I'll talk to y'all soon. Yeah. (laughs) Well, talk soon, okay? All right. Bye. Bye. Listeners, I have been caught. The good doctor has come up out of the operating room from a break. So I'm going to steal him to join in on this bonus episode. Hey, Doc. Hi. How's it going? It's going good. (laughs) Thanks for welcoming me back onto the podcast. Your own podcast. (laughs) You're such a gracious hostess, though, so. I am grateful to be back. You know, thank you. Thank you. Welcome welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you on. Cool. Um, so, Doc, I have been chatting with Arissa and Christina, and I got their top two questions for consults. I want to know from you, besides are you married, which listeners, yes, he is very married. Yes. <laughs> um, what are the top two questions that you get in your consultations? Like, for example, a breast augmentation consult. What is the top two questions that you get? I think a key question I get asked in almost every consult is about sensation. So for a breast augmentation, the question would be, would I lose sensation in the nipples? And the answer to that is almost always no. Most of the time, there's a small patch of numbness that occurs around any scar. So a tummy tuck, a breast augmentation, there would be numbness on the lower part. And a lot of women who have had a C-section, for example, could tell you that too, that there's always a little numb patch there, but nipple sensation should not be impaired at all in a breast augmentation. And that would be probably the main question that I would get asked. Okay. In that yeah, that's a, that's an important question. All right. What's the second one? I think if we could follow along those lines with a labiaplasty consult in contradistinction, you would not lose any sensation after a labiaplasty because we're not undermining any tissue. We're just removing the tissue that is extra. So I've never had anyone have sensation loss, uh, clitoral sensation issues, or pain at any scar. The labia actually heal without scar, just like the inside of the mouth heals when you bite your cheek or you burn the roof of your mouth. Yeah. It kind of gets just a little shiny surface. There's no real scar there. And that's what's kind of amazing with a labiaplasty is that there's no scar and there's no sensation loss. So that would be kind of the opposite as some of the other surgeries where there really is no sensory changes in surgery. Yeah. Okay, cool. I have a question. Bringing it back to breast augmentation, something I've always wondered, can you breastfeed with implants? Absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. There's even stories. Yeah, there's even stories of women who have had a breast reduction and been able to breastfeed. 
I've even heard of a patient who's had a nipple graft, which is not common, but you actually can take the nipple off and put it back on and they've been able to breastfeed. What? The body and nature, nature finds a way, but obviously with breast augmentation, the implant is mostly behind the muscle. So you're really not disrupting the milk ducts. And even when you do a breast lift or breast reduction, in most cases, the nipple is staying attached and rotating into a new position. So the nerves stay attached and the ducts stay attached. And therefore, women are very often able to breastfeed after those surgeries. Wow, that is pretty cool. Man, I learned so much by sneaking into your office when you're not here. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for um, joining in on this bonus episode, Doc. I, uh, I appreciate it. That was very enlightening. Cool. Okay, I'll see you next time. Ciao. <laughs> oh, well, wasn't that fun? I hope you enjoy this episode, listeners, and I hope you learned as much as I did. Who knew nipples were so resilient? I mean, <laughs> I sure didn't. Well, actually, most breastfeeding moms knew. Um, all right, <laughs> I gotta get out of here. I'm laughing at my own jokes. It's time for me to go. So, listeners, if you have any questions for Dr. Oppenheimer that you'd like for him to answer on the show, please send them to the podcast email address, and that email address is the post op. OPP at gmail.com. And you can always follow Dr. Oppenheimer's work on Snapchat and Instagram. He's at Real Dr. Opp. And once again, that is Opp OPP. Last but most certainly not least, listeners, you can keep up with me on Instagram and Twitter at A.JonesWellness. Until next time, be well. <laughs>